Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. Testament book of Psalms. And there's a lot of them. It's right there in the middle, so you shouldn't have any trouble finding it. Psalms. And we're going to look at the 119th Psalm. 119th Psalm. And we're going to look at the 112th verse of the 119th Psalm. In case you didn't know this, a little piece of background information for you. If you weren't raised in church or maybe nobody ever told you, the book of Psalms is very simply a book or a compilation or a collection of songs written by a couple different writers and artists. The primary one being King David, who played the harp and wrote these songs. It's fascinating to me how many songs he wrote, but what's even more fascinating to me is how long the songs were that he wrote. We're in verse 112 of the 119th Psalm. So the next time one of you says, man, we sang that chorus a little long today. Just remember that you didn't have to sing in King David's worship set and sing 119 verses of something, right? Psalm 119, picking it up in the 112th verse, the scripture says this. My heart, the psalmist writes, my heart, because ultimately that's what this entire series is rooted in. Moving from here to here, this 18-inch journey between our head and our heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. My heart is focused on, my heart is bent towards, my heart is leaning on this bedrock of pleasing you, of honoring you, of making you smile. That's the goal of my life. To see you glorified in everything that I do until the very end. I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. You are my refuge and my shield. And I have put my hope in your word. God, we ask very specifically today that through the reading of your word, through the unpacking of your voice, God, that we would encounter your presence in a very real and tangible way. And that, God, we would live changed as a result. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it in advance. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask. Amen. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Robbie, and I'm privileged to be one of the pastors here at Hope City, and if I've never had the chance to meet you or hang out with you or talk to you, I'd love the chance to get to do that. Um, I'll be hanging out over by the doorway right after this worship experience is over. Um, please stop by, say hello, introduce yourself, let me hear your story and find out how you and your family ended up here at Hope City today. As I mentioned just a moment ago, we are right smack dab in the middle of a teaching series called The 18-Inch Journey. And the premise behind this entire series is this. That knowing the right information changes nothing. My kids know the right information. It doesn't make them obedient. 
Um, we know the right information. It doesn't make us obedient. You know the speed limit is 55, but you don't go 55. You go 64, right? Because knowing the right information doesn't change anything. It's good to be wise. It's good to be smart. It's good to be intentional. It's good to learn. But learning and and understanding information is not what transforms our life. Transformation is a result of application. Transformation is a result of taking the information that we know, applying it to, watch this, who we are. Are so that it becomes second nature in what we do. Behavior modification only works as long as whatever the source of that behavior modification stays in play. If I tell my kids don't play in the road, they don't play in the road until I go in the house. And then you know what they do? They play in the road. Why? They know the information, but it hasn't transformed their heart. It hasn't changed who they are. They don't, they don't understand the why, the reason that I understand the why. It hasn't transformed them. It hasn't consumed them. And so this entire series is about the consummation of our hearts rather than the dispensing to our heads. And so my hope and my heart is that through this series, we would become people who very consistently walk in obedience and wait on the Lord. Walk in obedience and wait on the Lord. Walk in obedience and wait on the Lord. And in the process, be people whose hearts are transformed to look and sound and live and love like Jesus. Now, several years ago, um, I was taking, and I've shared this uh, a couple of times over the last four or five years, but I was taking a group of uh, middle school and high school students on a trip uh, to Panama City Beach, Florida. We're going down I-85, and we're cruising, and life's good, and making good time. The kids are all on the bus. I'm in my vehicle behind the bus, and we're all, like, making our way where it is we need to go. Somewhere in Atlanta, um, we got separated from the bus, which is fine. No, no big deal. They've got a GPS. I've got a GPS. We all got the address. We'll meet up down there, right? So we get separated. We get through Atlanta, And for some strange reason, and I'm not as geographically challenged as this is going to sound, but for some strange reason, I had it in my head that I-85 went all the way to Panama City Beach, Florida, that we would just get on I-85, go through Atlanta, and keep on trucking and end up in Panama City Beach, Florida. For those of you who don't have Google Maps on your phone and you're not aware, I-85 does not go all the way to Panama City Beach, Florida. It goes to the middle of nowhere, Alabama, and then stops, and you got a decision to make, right? So we got down there, and, and my GPS started yelling at me, hey, you need to get off and take this exit right here. And I was like, no, I'm not taking that exit. I ain't getting off in the middle of nowhere. I'm staying on 85. I'm staying on the highway. I'm going to make it to Panama City before anybody else makes it to Panama City. And so I passed the exit that the GPS told me to take. A few minutes later, GPS comes up again and says, hey, for real though, not seriously, you need to take this exit because you're going to need to make a U-turn and go back around to the place that I told you you needed to go. And I'm like, I'm not listening to this thing. This thing, this is back when it was like, like Tom Tom. It wasn't even updated. It, you stuck it on your glass. You guys remember those? You know what I'm talking about? Before you used your phone, you had the actual little GPS system. I said, I'm not listening to this thing. It hadn't been updated. It didn't know what it's talking about. I'm staying on I-85 and keep going. Finally, after about 15 or 20 minutes, my GPS just gave up on me. Like Google Maps, at least now Google Maps won't give up on you. It'll keep like annoying you to death until you make a decision, right? But this thing just gave up on me and it says, you're not listening to me anyway, ending route. And it went away. And I ended up in the middle of nowhere 
Alabama. Now, we've got middle of nowhere North Carolina, but it don't even remotely compare to middle of nowhere Alabama. Like there are definitely places in middle of nowhere Alabama, and it's no shade on Alabama, but there's definitely places there that they are still convinced that we're seceded from the union. Like legitimately, it is the middle of nowhere, right? And I had the best of intentions. The problem was no matter how much my GPS screamed at me, I wasn't going the right direction it doesn't matter how good your intentions are because intentions don't determine your destination direction does i heard andy stanley offer this principle of the path a few years ago where he says very specifically direction not intention determines destination we all have these great intentions. We want to live right. We want to do right. We want to have a good marriage. We want to have great finances. We want to, we want to operate uh, in, a, in a high capacity at our job. We want to move forward in our career. We have all these great intentions. But intentions don't get you anywhere. Direction gets you somewhere. And how do you point your life in the right direction? Not by your intentions and not even by what you know or think you know. You point your life in the right directions by the habits that have become who you are. Allowing your life's direction to be guided by something deep down inside of you. That's more than just, I know the right thing, but it's, I know the right thing. It's who I am. Let me give you another example. My family and I moved about three or four weeks ago to a new house on the other side of our neighborhood. We live in a really large neighborhood. And when we moved to the other side of the neighborhood, now you go in a different entrance to get to our house in our neighborhood. But it's interesting that over the last three to four weeks, at least seven to 10 times, I have ended up in my old driveway, gotten ready to get out of the car and wondered how the heck did I get here? And what am I doing here? get back in the car and then drive to my new house. So Robbie, why'd you go to your, why'd you go to your, your old house? Habit. I just had this habit. I didn't make the conscious decision. I didn't tell a GPS. No, it wasn't based on information. It was based on habit and habits form the direction that you go and direction determines the destination of your life. And I'm convinced absolutely and utterly convinced that solid, healthy, good, life-changing habits stem from a healthy heart. Not good information, not knowing the right stuff, a healthy heart. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. That great behaviors come from a wise head. Great habits stem from a healthy heart. Great behaviors come from a wise head, but great habits stem from a healthy heart. You say, well, great behavior is good, right? Again, behavior modification is fine, but it doesn't last. It's momentary. It's fleeting. It's I know the right thing to do right now. The goal is not looking for great behavior. The goal is looking for transformed hearts. You want to be somebody who habitually makes the right call without even thinking about it, 
Not somebody who says, I know I shouldn't. I know I, I don't need to. I know I, I shouldn't go over there, so I'm not going to go over there. You need to make the kind of d- 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 decision in your life that you want to be the person that naturally doesn't go over there because it's who you are, not just what you do. Does that make sense? So having said all of that, what I want to do this morning is spend just a few minutes walking you through three specific three specific realities three specific i don't know if i would call them habits or not but three necessities for you to have a healthy heart three necessities that are absolutely crucial for you to have a healthy heart and when you have a healthy heart it will in turn create healthy and good habits in your life to do that i want to go to this obscure passage of scripture found in the 112th verse of the 119th psalm that the psalmist writes psalm 119 picking it up in verse 112 my heart it's a healthy heart it's a good heart it's the kind of heart that longs for keeping the decrees of God. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. So here's what's necessary. Number one, out of this passage right here, I hate double-minded people. I hate double-minded people. You say, wait a second. we, We don't ever teach on that verse. I never hear anybody preach about that verse. It's always about love and kindness and compassion and care and forgiveness. See, but I think we've got to start learning what to hate in our lives. Because until you begin to hate certain things about your life, you'll never change from where you are in your life to become the person that God wants you to become. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. We've got to start knowing what to hate. We've got to start knowing what to hate. We let way too much slide in our lives, guys. Way too much go. Well, I don't really like this. Well, it's a habit that I've got that I'm trying to, to get over. Well, it's just, it, you know, it kind of messes some things up. Well, I have to keep it hidden from people. And we just kind of like, it's an annoyance. It's a nuisance. But for many of us, we don't hate the very things that are robbing us and destroying us and creating in us dissension that's keeping us from being who it is that God wants us to be. And until you begin to hate it, you'll never change it. You know, you know who, who the people are that make their goals? Let me give you a, a very specific example. You know who the people are that lose the most weight? The people who hate how they feel and hate how they look. And because they hate how they feel and hate how they look, they say, I'm not going to live with it anymore. And until you begin to hate the things about you that don't look the way that God created you to look, you'll continue to excuse them away as nuisances in your life. Now, here's what I've learned. I've learned that some of the things that I hate, that I absolutely hate, I love what they do for me. I just hate what they do to me. I love what they do for me, particularly in the moment. I just hate what they do to me. Let me give you a great example. One of my favorite things to do 
like ever. Some people like to go skydiving. Some people like to go surfing. Some people like to go golfing. One of my favorite things to do is eating. I love eating. It's my favorite thing to do. Somebody asked me, hey, what's your hobby? Eating. No, I know that you eat, but like what else do you do? No, that's my favorite hobby. Like that's what I enjoy doing. A matter of fact, I work a job where I, I, I have lunches and lunch meetings with people. There are times when I very intentionally schedule two or three lunch meetings in a single day. Why? Because I get to eat at every single one of them. Like that's weird. No, it's not weird. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. It works perfect. You can have barbecue, Chinese, and Mandarin all on the same day. It's beautiful. Beautiful, right? I love eating. And one of my favorite things to eat, and this is going to sound like super weird and crazy to you, I love getting a big bag of Doritos Cool Ranch and a big giant tub of Dean's French Onion Dip and laying on my couch and popping open the Dean's French Onion Dip and positioning it right on what has now become this mound that I can't seem to shake or get rid of and sitting the Doritos beside me and going through an entire tub of Dean's French Onion Dip. It is heaven on earth. It's a glorious thing, right? Lay back on the couch with my Dean's and my Doritos and watch the Food Network and we are in heaven, right? It's perfect. And I love what that does for me. That provides for me satisfaction. That provides for me a place of respite. That provides for me rest. That provides for me the opportunity to kind of shut the world away and just enjoy me for a moment and just enjoy doing what I love. I love what it does for me in the moment. But I hate what it does to me because I get on the scale the next day and all that stuff that I ate stayed. It didn't go away, right? Or I look in the mirror and I'm like, where did you come from? And I can almost hear it saying, from the Dorito bag, right? But I hate what it does to me. And you've got to get to a place, watch this, this is so important, so important. You've got to get to a place in your life where you hate what something does to you more than you love what it does for you. The problem is most of us excuse away what it does to us because of how much we love what it does for us in the moment. And the eating, that's a, that's a humorous one. But some of you got some deep, dark, seated stuff inside of your life that you don't want anybody to know, that you don't want anybody to talk to, talk to you about. But the truth of the matter is, these are things that does something for you momentarily, but you know it is destroying your marriage, destroying your relationships, destroying your personality, destroying who it is that God created you to be. And until you get to the place and the point where you hate it so much, you're willing to do something about it, it won't shift and it won't change. You don't naturally gravitate away from the things that you love. You naturally fall back into them. And until you begin to hate the consequences of those things, those things will never go away. And no matter how much you know about the Lord, no matter how much you know about good principles regarding your relationships, regarding your finances, regarding your your work ethic, no matter how much you know, You will find yourself still consumed by all this junk. Why? Because you've allowed the thing 
that you love what it does for you, but you hate what it does to you to consume you and to stick around in your life. And you'll never develop healthy habits without hating that junk that you've allowed to fester in your heart. Go back to that passage for me, Psalm 119. It says, I hate double-minded people. I hate people who flip-flop. I hate people who go back and forth. That's not what you want. That's not what you long for. You want people who are fully and and totally devoted and committed to you. But then he goes on. He says, but I love your law, and you are my refuge and my shield. You are my refuge and my shield. Not only do we have to learn what to hate, we have to learn where to hide. We have to learn where to hide. I think so often in our lives, we make the mistake and think that it's okay. We make the mistake of hiding behind our anger or hiding behind our uh, mask of security or hiding behind some false pretense of who it is that we've created for others to see. And as long as nobody can see it, then it's fine. The problem is it's eating away at you on the inside and it's destroying your heart and you have an unhealthy heart and you can't seem to figure out why you can't develop good habits and it's because good habits are developed from a healthy heart. And you find yourself consistently when life gets difficult, when life gets hard, when the heat gets turned up, you hide. But you don't hide behind the Lord and His shield. You hide behind your own creations. And those creations are faulty and fleeting and cracking. And here's what I've learned. It doesn't take long before people can see through those things. And when they see through them, you're not able to hide anymore. And now you just avoid people altogether. You just avoid getting together with people. You just avoid hanging out with people. You just avoid relationships. Why? The the relationships are difficult. The relationships are hard. The relationships are painful. And you just avoid those things altogether because you can't hide anymore. And God says, listen, when life gets difficult, when life gets painful, when you're running into the battle... I need you to be carrying a shield, but the shield doesn't need to be of something that you made yourself. The shield needs to be me. Let me go before you. Let me guard your steps. Let me light your path. Let me be the thing that you rest in. Let me be your refuge and your shield. God's greatest desire for you and for me is to be people who find our source in him and him alone. We rest and trust and lean on and hide behind him. What's fascinating is this term shield is something that is used when you're on the offensive or playing defense. When life is coming at you or you're taking on life. That sword that the scriptures described to us as one where we know the right information. We know how to thwart the attacks of the enemy. We know how to fight back. But every one of us simultaneously need a shield. 
And that shield is there for the specific purpose of guarding us, of keeping us safe. And God's desire for you and for me is to stop using junk that we come up with to try to guard who we are. He wants us to be guarded in him. He's saying, put down that stupid shield of anger. Put down that stupid shield of complaining. Put down that stupid shield of relational divide. Put down that stupid shield of security. And be honest about who you are, but also be honest about the God that is going with you and the God that is going before you and the God that promises to never leave and never forsake you. Because all that stuff won't safeguard you. In fact, all that stuff will give you a false sense of security. And before you know it, you'll end up being somebody who's wounded and jacked up and wondered how you ended up here. It's because you used everything to shield you except for the very thing that was made to shield you. And that was your heavenly father. So first habit of a healthy heart, first necessity for a healthy heart is knowing specifically what to hate. The second necessity of a healthy heart is knowing where to hide. And the third, if you're taking notes, write this down. The third is knowing how to hope. Knowing how to hope. This is probably the biggest conversation that I have as a pastor. And I should have known it because we named our church Hope City Church. But people want to know, how do you have hope in the middle of pain? How do you have hope in the middle of brokenness? How do you have hope when everything around you seems hopeless? How do you have hope when nothing's working out right? How do you have hope when there doesn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel? Throw that passage back up for me one more time. It says, you are my refuge and my shield, and I have put my hope in your word, in your promise in your decree and declaration over my life. Notice this. It doesn't say, I have put my hope in everything working out well. It doesn't say, I have put my hope in things going the way that I want them to go. It doesn't say, I've put my hope in the situation working itself out. It says, I've put my hope in your promise, in your word. You see the difference? One is hoping in the circumstance. The other is hoping in the God who stands outside the circumstance. If the Apostle Paul had put his hope in the circumstance, then he would be case study number one on why you should not put your hope in the Lord. Because he had his head cut off. And as you walk through church history, we find circumstance after circumstance after circumstance where believers' lives didn't end well. And if they had put their hope in the Lord and the reality is that that hope meant that their circumstances went the way they wanted them to go, they would be the perfect case studies that hope in the Lord is a bad call and a bad idea. But the way you find hope in the middle of pain, in the middle of difficult circumstances is where you choose to place it. Do you place it in the circumstance? Do you place it in the situation? Or do you place it in the promise of the Lord, which says, I have already defeated and overcome death, hell, and the grave. 
In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, when you get to a place and a point in your life where you recognize that everything around you is temporal, everything around you is momentary, everything around you is fleeting, and your hope is in something far greater than what's around you, you will find yourself with the capacity and the ability to have hope in hopeless situations, not because of who you are and not because of where you are, but because of who he is and his promise over your life. You say, well, what's the tangible benefit there? The tangible benefit for you and for me is that we don't have to allow the brokenness of this world to be the end-all and be-all of our story. God's telling a much bigger story than just what you can see around you. God says, you got to know what to hate. You got to know where to hide when the heat gets turned up. But you got to know specifically how to hope. Be people whose hope is in something far greater. It was fascinating to me to read that passage of scripture again this week. Referring to Jesus being crucified. And it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It's a different way to live. For the joy that's set before you, you endure the pain of this world. For the joy that's set before you, you endure the brokenness of this world. For the joy that's set before you, you endure the problems that come with living in this world. Why? Because there is joy, there's joy that's been set before you. And it's far greater than these momentary afflictions. God is working all things together for his glory for your good got to get to a place in our life where our direction is formed by healthy habits and our habits are formed by a healthy heart not information not substance not having it all figured out and drawn out and mapped out just right. But it's who we are. Can I tell you the kind of person that I want to be? Just share with you real quick. I want to be the kind of person that not only hates racism and hates poverty, I want to be the kind of person that hates the enemy's work in my life. I want to be the kind of person that can't stand it when I'm robbed of something that I have been entitled to by my Heavenly Father. I want to be the kind of person that hates it when I miss out on something that God had planned for me because I gave into the enemy. So much so, I hate it so much that nobody has to tell me to fight against it. I fight against it because of how bad I hate it. That's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be the kind of person... That when life seems to be caving in around me, I don't put up some false pretense or pretext of who I am and try to make everybody around me assume that I've got it together. I want to be the kind of person that hides in the covering and in the protection and in the care of my heavenly father and does it unapologetically. I want to be the kind of person that when you walk up and you say, hey, how are you doing? I'm able to say, 
awful, absolutely terrible. Everything's falling apart right now. But guess what? God is still God and God is still good. And I'm walking and trusting and believing in who he is more than I'm resting in my circumstances. That's the kind of person I want to be. Not the kind of person that gets told that's how you should be. I want to be. I want that to be my natural response. I want that to be who I am, not just what I know. And then finally... I want to be the kind of person that says, I am hopeful in the face of the world's biggest disasters and our nation's greatest tragedies. I want to be the kind of person that a news anchor has to say to me, where are you getting your joy from in the middle of this pain? And I'm able to say, Because I don't hope in this. I hope in him. That's the kind of person I want to be. Those aren't characteristics I want to possess. Those aren't things I want to do. Those aren't life lessons I want to apply. That's who I want to be. I want that to consume me. But for it to consume me, I've got to make a choice. And I'll end with this. I've got to make a choice, and so do you. For us to become the kind of people that God wants us to become, for our hearts to be transformed, it will require every single one of us to make a conscious choice. In the Old Testament, God said to the children of Israel, choose you this day whom you will serve. In the scriptures, it says, you can have blessings or you can have curses you choose it's fascinating to me that you can have two people that can experience the same circumstances deal with the same problems face the same realities of life and they can respond completely differently to those circumstances and it will literally change the face of those circumstances why because they chose you got to choose Do you hate it enough to get rid of it? Do you hide in the Lord or do you hide in the other stuff? Do you hope in him or hope in your circumstances? You got to choose. And don't for a second think that your direction is somehow going to change simply because you got more information. No, 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 no. The GPS can scream at you all it wants to. Some pastor can stand up on stage and preach and make really good points and you can take lots of notes and you can journal every day and write it all down and your life can still be headed in the wrong direction. You say, how? Because you gotta choose. You gotta choose. What kind of heart do you want? And what are you gonna do about it? Choose you this day who it is you're gonna serve. Not by what you do, but by who you are. It's your call. And mine too. God, thanks for the challenge. May we be people who are intentional and unapologetic about hoping in your word, about hiding in your presence. 
and about hating the attack of the enemy over our life. And may we choose to adjust what needs to be adjusted now so that the direction of our life can change. Starting today. And we'll give you all the praise for it. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we ask all of this. Amen.